KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, December 16th. The impacts of free transitional kindergarten on child care providers. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Four new cases of Omicron COVID-19 variant were reported in San Diego County on Wednesday. The two previously reported cases of the variant were people who were fully vaccinated and had received booster shots, while the four new cases are people who are fully vaccinated but had not received booster shots. County public health officials say the Delta variant is still the predominant strain spreading in San Diego. In the county's latest data, more than 600 new COVID-19 cases were reported on Wednesday and two additional deaths. California's new mask mandate went into effect on Wednesday. OSHA, the agency that regulates workplace safety, will soon decide whether or not to impose fines on businesses that do not enforce the rule on employees. Todd Walters is the president of the local United Food and Commercial Workers Union, which represents 10,000 grocery, drug and retail workers in San Diego County. So it's very real to them. And I just think the public needs to understand that it's not their fault. Please don't take it out on them. If you're asked to wear the mask, just put it on. Tuesday's storm set records for the amount of rain received in a 24-hour period in December in parts of San Diego County. Ramona, Escondido, and El Cajon, just to name a few. Here's National Weather Service meteorologist Alex Tardy. I think it's more important, more significant that all that occurred just in an hour or two. The San Diego River rose to nine and a half feet, but it didn't spill over its banks. Tardy says we may get some more rain tonight, but it won't be anything like Tuesday. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org. Soon, California public schools will offer free transitional kindergarten for all four-year-olds. It'll be a big help for working parents, but KPBS reporter Tanya Thorne tells us it may have unintended consequences for child care providers. Pamela Casas' four-year-old goes to an in-home daycare. It costs her about $700 a month. But by 2025, kids' age could go to free transitional kindergarten at their public schools. But Casas doesn't know what she will do. I worry that there's not enough um, one-on-one attention. So in that aspect, I consider staying um, where I'm at now. Some parents told KPBS the cost of their child care exceeds their mortgage payment. Casas's payment isn't that high, but she says she would continue paying out of pocket. That's if she doesn't like what is being offered at the public school. And is it going to be equitable across all districts because we already know the districts the way they are in California like there there's a lot of disparities even in that but not all parents have the luxury of choice i think it it will be a good thing for some families because at least it'll decrease the cost but even though 
there's a cost-benefit analysis, is it still the right choice? MAC is a countywide organization that helps low-income families with resources like full-day childcare. CEO Arnulfo Manriquez says while Universal TK is free, it will have a shorter schedule, which may not work for some families. The majority of our population don't have the structure of work. Uh, they are essential workers and they have to be on site for the most part. Uh, so that would that, that's something that was very concerning for us. Needless to say, there's a huge need for it. But he says if it's run well, it will help prepare kids for the classroom environment in kindergarten. Still, there may be unintended consequences to child care providers. In mid-August, I lost about a third of my enrollment very unexpectedly because the local elementary schools in our community had suddenly opened up a late threes, early four-year-old program. Holly Weber, the owner of Magic Hours Preschool, lost some kids to a new TK program in Mira Mesa. Now, she has had to apply for a license to care for younger children to make up the loss. But changes to her business aren't her biggest concern. There were children that still had frequent accidents throughout the day uh, that, that couldn't hardly express themselves to communicate and articulate their needs. Those are very, very critical components in a child's life. We could talk about how this is going to affect businesses all day long. But what we need to really, really focus on is the developmental concerns and the generation of children that will stem from this. Weber fears that school districts will be burdened with a new set of responsibilities. You know, there's a reason why child care centers have staff with very specialized education under for children uh, birth through five years, as well as elementary staff have specialized credentials for teaching above five years of age. And how it's proposed to, to mix those models, I, I don't know. Already, kids born between September and December get free TK. One teacher for that age group says for the program to work, schools need the proper resources. She asked that KPBS not use her name to protect her job. I am concerned about how the district is going to implement this and whether or not they have the staffing to provide the adequate support for all the students that will be coming in. Um, with the added extra students for all the four-year-olds, um, they would definitely need to get a lot more staff that have both the teaching credential and the early childhood ed education units. That despite school districts across the region facing massive staffing shortages. Public schools have until the 2025 school year to figure it out. And that was KPBS's Tanya Thorne. The preliminary hearing into the fire that destroyed the USS Bonham Richard continued on Wednesday. KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh has the latest from the courtroom. Seaman apprentice Ryan Sawyer Mays is accused of hazarding a vessel in arson. A federal national response team spent months combing through the fire scene. Defense experts, including a former federal fire investigator, questioned whether there was enough evidence to actually rule the fire arson. Mays' attorney, Gary Bartel. Seaman Mays is presumed innocent. He has continued to maintain his innocence with regard to these allegations. It has taken more than a year for prosecutors to bring the case to court. The Navy also produced a sailor who saw Mays headed to the deck where the fire started. Hearing officer Captain Angela Tang will now have to make a recommendation as to whether there's enough evidence to send Mays to a court-martial for the July 2020 fire. 
And that was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. On Wednesday, a new homeless shelter opened up in the Midway District as officials scramble to deal with rising numbers of people living on the streets and how existing shelters are nearing capacity. KPBS's Matt Hoffman visited the new shelter to bring us this report. He starts with Alpha Project CEO Bob McElroy. Just think, there's some folks out there right now that have no idea that their lives are going to change in this facility. This former department store off Sports Arena Boulevard is the city's newest homeless shelter. It has 44 beds and is designed to help those with substance abuse or mental health conditions. We're launching a new category, a new uh, program and effort that's designed to meet a need that is not presently being met. County Supervisor Nathan Fletcher partnered with San Diego Mayor Todd Gloria to make this specialized shelter a reality. The conditions on our streets are unacceptable. No one here is happy with the conditions. And that's why in the middle of a pandemic, we're sitting here and finding creative solutions to make sure that we get more people off the streets. Homelessness is certainly becoming more visible in the Midway District area. And places like this, just blocks away from the shelter, are where those specialized outreach teams will come to bring people to try and get them some housing. Now, with only 44 beds, officials know they still have a long way to go. These 44 beds, I want San Diegans to know, is just the beginning. The city is paying for building and operating costs while the county is handling outreach and treatment efforts. Family Health Centers has been contracted to provide C-Heart or community harm reduction teams. And there are clinicians, substance use counselors, and peer support specialists uh, that will be working with these individuals through time. Piedad Garcia is deputy director for the county's behavioral health services. She says this shelter will operate under a harm reduction model. If you are under the influence, you are not rejected for treatment, uh, you are not rejected for shelter or bridge housing. Day-to-day -day shelter operations will be run by the nonprofit Alpha Project, which also oversees other shelters near downtown. It's always just a revolving door, and, and they just, I, I see a lot of people, I've been about 12, 11, 12 years I've been doing this. And I've seen a lot of the same people. Carlos Juarez with the Alpha Project says he's hopeful that people will take advantage of the extra services here. So I just hope this place does good. You know, I can see it doing a lot of good, you know, single beds. So they're not fighting with their bunkies or there's nothing going on like that, you know, and space wise. So hopefully it'll be a, a turnaround. They'll come in, get their help they need and get housing. While there is multi-year funding, the shelter is considered temporary as the property is part of the Midway Redevelopment Plan. And that was KPBS's Matt Hoffman. The Oceanside Museum of Art opens its fifth Artist Alliance Biennial this Saturday. The juried exhibition was conceived to elevate the voices of Southern California artists and celebrate the best work of the museum's Artist Alliance. KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando has this preview. Alessandra Moctezuma is a professor of fine art and a curator with three decades of experience. As this year's juror for the Oceanside Museum of Art's Artist Biennial, she had the daunting task of narrowing down the 900 submissions to the 61 pieces for the exhibit. I really look at the unique vision that they have, the way that they deal with different topics or themes, and also what is innovative about how they approach a particular technique or media. Moctezuma is excited to have people appreciate the diverse artistic styles in person at the Oceanside Museum of Art starting this Saturday. The exhibit runs till May of next year. And that was KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. 
coming up, we all know people are leaving California. In the past, the number of people leaving has usually been offset by people coming into the state. But during the pandemic, that changed. We'll have more on that next, just after the break. KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, a blend of computer science, statistics, and domain expertise. Learn more about University of California San Diego's online Master of Data Science program at omds.ucsd.edu. The idea that California is too expensive and that people are leaving is an idea KPBS hears about a lot, and for a long time now. But the question we're all trying to understand is just how many people are leaving. A new study out this week from the University of California finds that since the start of the pandemic, more people are moving out of the state than coming in. One of the study's authors is Evan White. He's also the executive director of the California Policy Lab at UC. Berkeley. He spoke with KPBS's Christina Kim on Midday Edition about the study and its findings. Here's that interview. So what exactly did your research show in terms of the number of people moving in and out of the state since March 2020? Yeah, so since the start of the pandemic, uh, we saw that the state was losing population due to uh, domestic migration. The big story is not that people are leaving, it's that fewer people are coming. So entrances to California since the pandemic began are down by nearly 40%. Now, exits are also somewhat up, but they're matching a pre-pandemic trend, which was already showing that people were leaving uh, California in small numbers. Uh, We're seeing this trend pretty much statewide. Um, Every region in the state has had entrances go down by anywhere from 25 to 45%. Um, But we're seeing that it's especially pronounced in the San Francisco Bay Area. Why do you think that is? Why is the Bay Area kind of leading this right now? I would say that it's the jury's still out. Uh, We really don't know. We hope to do future uh, future research on that question. But this report really just focuses on the numbers because a lot of uh, the reports that have come out have been sort of speculative or they use data that's not uh, that's not very comprehensive. So we've tried to put some numbers to this debate. I want to ask you about that data. But first, I want to turn to San Diego. How many people have left San Diego to move out of state? And how many people are moving in compared to other years? Yeah, so our data show that over 30,000 San Diegans have left the county for other states. And only about uh, 14,000 moved in. That's in the third quarter of 2021. The change since the beginning of the pandemic is that exits are up by 8%. But the biggest change is that entrances from other states into the the county of San Diego are down by 39%. And what data did you use to measure where people are moving to and from? Yeah, so we used what we think is the most comprehensive data set that we've seen on this topic, which is data from one of the three nationwide credit bureaus. So when you take out a credit card or you have a a bank loan, uh, you might provide your zip code to that uh, lender and they reported up to one of the credit bureaus. We use anonymized credit bureau data um, to see uh, whether people have changed their zip codes from one quarter to the next. We're able to see about 90% of adults in the state 
Um, and so others who've used other data sources like the United States Postal Service data, this is a little bit more comprehensive and it's also um, very up to date. So our numbers are through the end of September of 2021. I know there's a lot of focus on California losing a congressional seat due to population changes. But beyond that, why should people listening care about how many people are moving in or out of the state? Like, what does this tell us about our communities, about politics? Why should people really be paying attention to this? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. I think people assume that losing population is sort of necessarily a bad thing. And to be sure, it has some negative consequences, such as losing federal electoral power and federal funding. But I think there are other potential benefits. Lower population could decrease demand for housing, for example, and and thereby lowering housing prices. Uh, We saw a little bit of that at the beginning of the pandemic in San Francisco um, when rents went down. Uh, It could also have labor market effects or impacts on on tax revenues. So I think, you know, there's a lot of different ways it could change things. I think the reason people are so drawn to this question is because it influences their own perception of where they live. If they, they see other people leaving, they feel like maybe... Maybe they should leave, too, or something like that. But uh, I know for me personally, I I love this state, and the fact of people leaving or coming is not going to change that. In the last few years, it seems like we're always reading a study telling us about a potential California exodus. But you say your research is in line with other University of California studies and doesn't find evidence of such an exodus. How do you define and quantify an exodus? And, and why do you think there's so much attention on kind of characterizing you know, domestic migration this way. Yeah, it it does seem like most weeks there's a story about people leaving California. Some of these stories, in my opinion, reflect somewhat of a conservative political bias, but some reflect genuine concerns with the livability of the state. Uh, It's housing prices, it's homelessness crisis, it's wildfires. We've tried to bring some data, some actual data to this discussion. And what our report shows is it's really not as much about Cal exits as it is about Cal entrances. Uh, the bulk of the population loss from domestic migration is due to fewer people moving to the state, not not many people moving out of it. Um, so um, you ask how we define an exodus. I, I guess I'd look for a change in the rate of exits from the state. And we have not seen that go up. And in fact, in the early pandemic months, that went down, um, although it's since rebounded to, to roughly the pre-pandemic trend. Why is it important to kind of reframe the way we're thinking about inward and outward movements to really look at the fact that it's that less people are moving into California? Does that reframe the issue or any potential policy points that we can make out of the data you're finding? I think in some ways it does, in some ways it doesn't. I think policymakers seem to be quite worried about population loss, and they have to focus on both sides of that coin, keeping people here who are already here, but also attracting new residents. And so because our study shows that there's so much more of a change on the entrances side, um, that could mean that California has to do a better job of marketing the state to non-California residents and trying to counter the narrative of prominent figures like Elon Musk who make a big show of leaving California, even though his factories are still here. And uh, it may also mean improving conditions on the ground in terms of the things that matter to potential movers, things like high housing costs and homelessness and the business climate, wildfires and I think that part is what hasn't changed because that is as true for people who live here as it is for people who we might want to attract here. So you've mentioned this is the most comprehensive data set that you've been able to use in order to understand this phenomenon. What's next in terms of your research and questions you have as we move forward into 2022? Yeah, well, we're going to continue to monitor the trends. um, So we'll see what changes in 2022. 
We also uh, want to take a, a closer look at the why questions to see if we can uh, figure out what seems to be driving uh, these changes. Are we seeing people leave from higher cost areas or from areas where there's more availability of remote work options? Or are we seeing people leave from areas where there's um, a lot of wildfire risk? So trying to do some of that analysis to figure out the why of the question, I think will be important to break through some of the hyperbole about this. And that was Evan White, executive director of the California Policy Lab at UC Berkeley. He was speaking with KPBS's Christina Kim on Midday Edition. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day.